We are continuing this morning our series on Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. Of the four Gospels, only two give us the birth narrative, and they are Luke and Matthew. We've looked at Luke in the past. This year we're looking at Matthew's account. They focus on different things. And this morning, Jesus is born in our text, something that Luke gives a lot of time to. But Matthew uses this text to focus on Christ's mission and what he came to do rather than many of the elements of what happened. So hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, div- to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray as we come to the preaching of your word that you would help us. O God, we need you. Every hour we need you. And we need you in this hour. That you would, by your spirit, help us understand that you would grow us in your grace, strengthen our faith. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we look at the bookends of Scripture, as we look at the beginning and the end, we see God dwelling with his people in peace in the presence of his full blessing, something that the Bible calls shalom. If you heard that word before, in the Old Testament, if you see the word peace, it is shalom, and it is not just the absence of conflict, it is the full presence of blessing. In Genesis, the beginning of these bookends, we find Adam and Eve living in the garden. Adam and Eve, God's people, living in the garden. And even God walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day. We're not even real sure what that would have looked like or been like. And then when we turn to the book of Revelation, we read those passages which speak of the coming of Christ. And we find God again dwelling with his people. Even as Revelation 21 tells us that in that day, the dwelling place of God will be with man. But between Genesis and Revelation, there are a lot of books of the Bible. It begins with God dwelling with His people and it ends with God dwelling with His people. So what's the middle about? Well, really from Genesis 3 to the end of the book, of the Bible, it's about how God is fixing the problem. See, something had happened which made it impossible for God to dwell with man in an unmediated kind of sense, in an immediate sense. And what was that? It was sin. Sin separates us one from another. 
and ultimately from the Lord. Perhaps you experience this separateness, this separation over Thanksgiving. When the ice of the table wasn't only contained with the iced tea. But perhaps the interactions between one and another because of sin. After Adam and Eve plunged this world into rebellion against God, breaking their covenant bond with God, God would have been just and justified to just say, we're done. To send Adam and Eve to hell and be done with his creation, to be done with his people, but he doesn't. He is a God of mercy and grace. Instead of condemning them, he in his mercy and grace began the work of restoring and redeeming the dwellingness of God with his people. And this is the mission that Christ came to do and to accomplish. God dwelling with man so that he might save his people from their sin and restore their relationship to God. This is the story of Christmas, how God pursued man, that man might live with God. Well, there's something called the Emmanuel principle that can be traced throughout all of Scripture. Emmanuel means God with us. We've sung about it and heard it sung many times this morning. And while ultimately the Emmanuel refers to Christ who came to dwell with his people, the idea is not one that is new just to the New Testament. Rather, it is the culmination of that which God had been doing throughout all of history as he saved his people in the Old and New Testament. We see in the Garden of Eden the the ideal, the standard. When God created Adam and Eve, they were not sinners. Can you imagine if your children were not born sinners? That'd be great. (laughs) What happened if you were not born a sinner? Well, that'd be nice too. There was nothing that stood between God and His people. They were naked in the garden, but not just physically. They were naked in the garden, emotionally and spiritually, one with each other, and also with the Creator of all things. And God dwelt with His people in the garden. But then something happened. Growing up, I had a a dog named Bandit, a miniature dachshund. He was my 11th birthday present from my parents. And sometimes we would get home and Bandit would not greet us at the door. That wasn't common. What had happened? Well, Bandit had done something wrong. He ate all the Christmas cookies one year under the tree. He got into an entire Whitman sampler of chocolate. It's a miracle that dog survived. The, uh, the peanut butter ones gummed up his mouth. Why was he hiding? Because he had done something wrong. And that's what Adam and Eve did. Their guilt and their shame made them hide from God. And guess what? This is what guilt and shame does in our lives as well. We do it one with each other. We feel guilty. We avoid each other. But when we sin against God in our words, thoughts, and actions, we hide. Why? Because the relationship has been damaged. And so Adam and Eve, when they had eaten the fruit of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil, their relationship was broken. Something existed between them and God. And perhaps the greatest consequence of what happened was being thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Being thrown out of the presence of God. 
Because to be in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden would have meant their death, not their life. It was merciful that God threw them out. Because God cannot be in the presence of wickedness and unrighteous hearts, just like Adam and Eve's and ours. And so the story of Christmas is what is reversing what happened with Adam and Eve when they ran from God. In the story of Christmas, God is running to man to redeem that which was lost, to come and dwell amongst His people that we might dwell with Him for eternity. God had not given up on the Emmanuel principle, for He had not given up on His people. And so we see in the Old Testament God making ways to dwell with His people. And we see this especially first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. But don't you remember that the tabernacle, the tent, the covering, the the temple later, it, it hid God from God's people. It made a way for God to be with His people. But His glory was contained and His people could not look upon the Ark of the Covenant. When it was moved, it was covered. One time a year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But even then, he went with a lot of incense, a ton of smoke, so that he wouldn't lay eyes completely on the throne of God, lest he die. But he also went with something else. He didn't just go with incense. He went with blood and lots of it. Because the thing that separated God and man was still a problem. God and His mercy was dwelling amongst His people. But there was something that had happened between the two of them. And it stood between them. This thing sin and our rebellion against God. And so when the high priest came into the, ark, to the Holy of Holies, he had to bring blood. Something had to die in order for God's people to be in His presence. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What did God do? They had tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. But He clothed them with animal skins. Something died, even then, so they might live. And we see this principle throughout all of Scripture. Well, God would dwell with His people. But it was a hidden presence and a bloody presence. You know, the the blood of bulls and goats would have run down the streets leading to the tabernacle and later to the temple. It looks nice in our pictures, all cleaned up, but it was a bloody thing. And that's because sin is a big deal. But then God told His people through Isaiah of a day when something special was going to happen. Isaiah 7 verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And she'll call his name Emmanuel. Something special was going to happen. No longer would God dwell in a tent or a tabernacle. But he would come and tabernacle and dwell amongst his people. He would live with his people. And he would become one of his people. And so they sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, how was this to happen? How was this promise of the Emmanuel to be fulfilled? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary, both of the line of David, 
through whom the Messiah would come. They were living in Nazareth, Nazareth. And they were betrothed to one another, something much um, stronger than our engagement. In fact, a divorce had to be written in order for the relationship to be broken. And while they had been betrothed to each other for some time, Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant. Now, we've heard this story so many times that we fail to think about what this would have meant to Joseph. This was the woman he loved. They knew how these things happened. This was the woman he loved. And from his perspective, she must have cheated on him. And she's with child. And it wasn't through him. What was he supposed to think? He was a godly man. And he loved her. In, first verse, in fact, verse 14 tells us that he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. There were two ways that a betrothal could end. One was a public trial, and the other was a, a private writ of divorce written from, from the husband to the wife. And he wasn't going to put her through a trial because he loved her and didn't want to see her put to shame. But you know, he resolved to do this, the best, best way to deal with it. But, you know, sometimes we know what we're going to do and then it takes us a while to do it. And apparently that's what happened in Joseph's case. He had resolved to do it quietly in his own heart, to put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly. And then he went to sleep. I wonder how long it took him to go to sleep. Sad and mourning, upset and exhausted. He finally fell asleep. But then in his dream, an angel, perhaps Gabriel, though we're not given his name, appeared in a dream to Joseph and told him in verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about Mary's faith, and she had a lot of faith. We would do well to speak high of Mary. We should also speak high of Joseph, that he would accept this from the angel. There were a lot of supernatural births in the Old Testament, a lot of them. A lot of barren women were given the blessing of having children, even in their old age. But it still happened according to the natural way of things. But here, Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit. This reflects what Gabriel told Mary in Luke 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Why is the virgin birth so important? What if in our Apostles' Creed we took that out because we didn't believe in it? Well, we'd stop being Christian, first of all, because the virgin birth is necessary. If Jesus had been just the natural child of Joseph and Mary, he would just be like any other person. But when Jesus is born, it's not just a normal person, for there's no salvation in a normal person. It doesn't help us to believe in someone who's a normal person. They can't help us from an eternal perspective. Instead, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, God Himself, was coming and taking to Himself a human nature. And God accomplished this through the virgin birth. That Jesus was and is both fully God and fully man was vitally important to his mission. He was not just coming to hang out with his people, just to spend some quality time with them. 
For when the angel appeared to Joseph in his dream, he told them about the mission of this special child. We see it in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How did you name your children? I don't mean what. I mean how. Some people labor hard over it, right? I mean months. I've heard of people having children and still not knowing what, them, what to call them. In our family, you, it has to be a family name. In fact, we like the name Thomas, and so we went and found somebody who was Thomas in our family. Turns out he was a cool guy, built the first church in, uh, in the state of New York. Uh, and it was a Presbyterian church. I mean, that'll preach, right? Um, and some people just don't think about what they're going to name their children, and at least you hope they didn't think about it. Um, <laughs> But in Jesus' day, naming children was a big deal. Because the parents would give the child a name that they hoped would be true of their life and their character. Well, here when Gabriel, well, we don't know it was Gabriel. When the angel tells Joseph what to name this child, it's a vastly important name. Jesus is the English version of the uh, Aramaic, or the Greek, of Jesus, uh, which is uh, the Greek version of the Hebrew of Yeshua, which is a short version of Yehoshua. Okay, if you didn't follow that, that's okay. Yeshua means God saves. Yehoshua means God will certainly save. And here is God coming to save His people. Not from the Romans... Not from poverty, although God has implications for that. Not just from hard days, although God does help us from that. He comes to help us from our greatest problem. The thing that separates us from God. The, the problem that had entered into Eden. And is, the, and is the reason why those books between Genesis and Revelation are written. It is God redeeming His people from their sin. And God was coming to dwell amongst His people to save them from their sins. How would He do this? Well, he has another name. Verse 23 quotes Isaiah 7. His name will be called Emmanuel. The one whom they had looked for for all these years. In the Old Testament, God was Emmanuel. Right? I mean, he was with his people. God was present with his people, just like he is present with us now. But he was present in a different sense. In a physical sense, he was there as a distance. There was something between them, the, the fabric of the tabernacle. And there were priests who had to continue to bring sacrifices. But, but someone was coming, and this someone was Emmanuel, God himself, who was coming to deal with our sin problem that had separated us from God. What was your favorite gift you received last year? I had to think hard about any gifts I received last year. A pair of shoes and a mirror for my truck. That's the only thing I can remember. But perhaps from your childhood. What was your favorite gift from childhood? Do you remember shaking it, wrapped underneath the tree, trying to figure out what it was? And then you come downstairs on Christmas morning and there it is and it's pretty wrapping and, and a nice big blue bow or pink bow and how excited you were that morning. And you opened it up and it was exactly what you thought it was. And you knew in that moment God loved you. <laughs> Because you had gotten the gift you wanted, right? That's how we usually work. Imagine, however, if you'd come downstairs on a Christmas morning and you walked up to your gift and it was leaking. 
something red, and it was blood. This is what Christmas is about. It's not a surprise that our poinsettias are red. It points us to the blood of Christ. For coming into this world was the only way that we could dwell with God. Christ was coming to pay the price that we might dwell with Him. The price of our relationship of being restored with God was the very blood of Christ. And here is Christ, Emmanuel, Yeshua, Jesus, God Himself, who is coming to dwell with His people so that we might dwell with Him. This is why Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. And so Joseph takes Mary as his wife. Immediately after this uh, visit from the angel, they begin to live together. But they refrain from sexual intimacy until Jesus had been born. And Joseph will take his bride to Bethlehem. Um, it was really inconvenient timing. That in Luke 2.1 we read that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Surely Joseph would have thought, really? Right now? She's nine months pregnant. But it was to fulfill the promise that the Brantleys read and from um, is it Malachi or Micah 5 uh, of, of the one who would come, the Messiah. He had to be born where? In the city of David. In Bethlehem. Well, guess whose ancestral town was Bethlehem? Joseph. And so they would travel to Bethlehem. And you know the story. There was nowhere to stay. So a kind innkeeper let them stay in his stable. A place to keep them out of the wind and out of the elements. And thus hope came into the world. The hope of nations and our hope, our only hope of salvation, Emmanuel, who came to dwell with his people, that we might dwell with him. God himself came to dwell that that he might pay for our sins. And so now we live in a time of hope and hardship, joy and hard journeys, of faithfulness and fear, of trust and temptation. We live in between the two comings of Christ. He dwells inside of us, right? He tabernacles. He dwells inside of us by the Holy Spirit. But one day, this kind of intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had experienced with God will be restored when Christ comes again. And so we read in the other bookend of Scripture, in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we